This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship, and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Still Rowing Podcast. I'm your host, Tara McCausland, and I'm thrilled to have Corey Hyde with me this evening. Thank you, Corey, for being here with me tonight. Thanks for having me. I was saying to Corey before we started, we've we've been kind of here and there scheduling. So Corey's been a, a good sport scheduling <laughs> this podcast. It took us a while, so I'm so excited to have her share her story of faith. It's a remarkable story. But um, instead of me reading a bio, I'm actually just going to have you introduce yourself, Corey, and tell us a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, my name's Corey Hyde. I was born and raised in Southern California. I'm the middle of three daughters born to Jim and Nancy Little. And I lived in California until I graduated from high school. Then I went to college at BYU straight from high school. There I met my husband, Russ, and we were married and have since had three children, two boys, Garrett and Grant, and then our daughter, Gracie, is our baby. Awesome. And you've been here in the the St. George area for how long? 16 years now. 16 years. So we moved here the year of the big flood. Oh, that's right. 2005. Well, with all the the new people moving here, it feels like half of Utah and California have moved here in the last five years. (laughs) So you're you're a long timer. Yeah. So that year we were looking for a home and all the neighborhoods we were looking for homes in kept flooding. And we'd say, oh, we don't want to live there. So look for higher ground. And so we kept searching until finally we found a neighborhood that wasn't flooded and picked our spot. And we've been here ever since. Love it. Hmm. Well, that might be a good theme for your life that you've in all of the challenges that you face, Corey, you have sought for higher ground and and kept the Lord a a main part of your story, which is what I love so much about your story. So I'm not going to give that away yet. We'll get to that part. Um, But Corey has a remarkable story of faith and relying upon the Lord in hard things. So when would you say you really started to develop a testimony of of the restored gospel? I know that you were born into the church, but when would you say uh, that seed really started to grow and bear fruit for you? Well, I think that I always have had a strong testimony of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ, but I think that it manifested itself to me when I was on my own at college and kind of forced to put my faith have my faith tested in different trials. And so one trial in particular was my second year at BYU. I um, was, had been dating a boy for about a year and we got engaged. And on paper, everything looked good. He was just about finished with school, was, had great plans for a career. He was a return missionary and all the things that I thought I wanted in a husband on paper, he had. 
and I was excited about the prospect of being married and a lot of my friends were getting married that summer and anyway as the school year came to an end he went home to Kansas to work and earn money for our marriage and I went home to California to work for the summer and where I had employment arranged and anyway as we went to our separate places I started having doubts about us getting married and to me, it just didn't make sense because everything I thought I had wanted in marriage, he was offering. And so I turned to the Lord and the more I prayed, the more uncomfortable I got about the feeling of being married to him. Mm. And, um, I really, um, couldn't understand why I wasn't supposed to marry him. And, um, one day I pulled out my patriarchal blessing and specifically in it, it told me that when I met the person I was supposed to marry, I would have no doubts that that was who I was to marry. Well, I was having doubts and serious doubts. And the more I prayed, the more doubtful I became. And eventually it just became very clear to me that I was not supposed to marry this particular boy. And so I had to call him. It was about just two to three weeks before we were to get married. And I called him to tell him I wasn't going to marry him. And that was so difficult for me. But as I prayed and fasted about it, the Lord made it very clear to me that that was the correct decision. And the day I called him to call off the wedding, he became very angry at me. And I still believe to this day that if he had just responded in a more loving manner, I probably would have married him and changed my mind. But the fact that he became so angry just confirmed to me that the Lord had prompted me in the correct decision. So anyway, I called off my wedding. And as soon as I did, I just had a tremendous amount of peace come to my mind. And I think that I really learned the power of prayer and fasting to receive answers. And that was a big challenge for me and a difficult trial I went through, but established a good start on my faith and prayer and trusting the Lord. Yeah, that would take an enormous amount of courage. I can only imagine, especially that uh, just a couple of weeks before your wedding, I think you had mentioned to me that you'd already sent, sent out invitations. Or... We picked, I picked up the invitations the day I called off my wedding. Oh, I got a right. call saying that the invitations were ready. And, um, but I had already, we'd already, you know, put deposits down on photographers and decorators and already had a wedding dress and you know, right. so many um, financial obligations had been fulfilled already that we were just going to lose out on. And so that was scary. Yeah, well, and I, I think as you described, that experience helped you really develop a, a trust in the power of prayer yes. and fasting and your ability 
to receive guidance from the Lord. And not only that, your ability to follow through and heed the Lord's counsel. Yeah. I think there, there are two parts of that, that we can do the work to receive an answer. But if we're unwilling to heed, <laughs> heed that answer from the Lord, I think sometimes he pulls back a little bit when we're unwilling to follow his direction. And so what a cool experience that prepared you for future events that would test your faith and require you to rely on the Lord in so many ways. So, so this I heard is, a thing just recently at a missionary homecoming that has really just struck me recently. And it said, there's no growth in comfort and there's certainly no comfort in growth. Mm. And I think that that's so true, like with our faith and testimony, if it's not tested and if we're just comfortable, it's not growing. And sometimes we don't even recognize it's there until we're forced to use it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and so rather than tantruming when life gets hard, hopefully we can yeah. maybe shift our, our perspective and recognize this is an opportunity for me to grow, but yeah, yeah. it's never comfortable when we're experiencing those growing pains. No. <laughs> so um, you, you were married uh, later on to Russ, you said in your. Yes. So I had called off my engagement in the summer. So August, and then met Russ the following February. And we dated for a little over a year. And then when he proposed, it was, I had no doubt whatsoever. My patriarchal blessing had proven true at that time. There was no question in my mind that he was the person I was supposed to marry. And the Lord made that very clear. And so I was grateful for that. And when I prayed and fasted about that, it was made known to me that I was doing the correct thing. So I wonder if you're marrying Russ and, and the challenges that you've faced together has been just yes. another like validation that he was the one that yes. you needed to, to bring I, you through some it, hard things. Exactly. I needed his humor and I needed his unfailing support. So. And why is that? Why did you need Russ? And what was all this preparation of faith uh, leading up to? In 2015, so at that time, our children, so our, my oldest at that time was 17. My second son was just about to turn 15. And my baby, my daughter was 11 at the time. I was working at the hospital as, as an exercise physiologist. I had been there for about 10 years. Anyway, was just really comfortable in my role at work and as, in my role as a mother. Again, I got comfortable. That's the problem. Then I needed to have the growth. And um, anyway, I started having some headaches. I wasn't real concerned about them at first because my younger sister had been, she had had migraines, migraines her entire life, just debilitating migraines. And she had been diagnosed with Chiari malformation and that is a hereditary thing. And so I figured that I probably just had a mild case of that. There's really no treatments for it. They just kind of help you manage the 
the migraines. And I wasn't even really having migraines. I just had a dull headache all the time. But the other thing I noticed was just, I was so fatigued all the time, just absolutely exhausted. And um, so I went to the doctor. He um, met with me for a long time, asked me lots of questions, ordered lots of blood work. I think he ran every blood test panel available on me. And everything came out that I was healthy and nothing to be worried about. And um, so that kind of put my mind at ease. And then, but like I said, the dull headaches continued. And, um, but they never got worse. They were just kind of there. Then in April of the following year, so the April of 2015, I was home alone one weekend and I was walking back to use the shower. And as I was walking back, I noticed that I was walking funny. I was lifting my knees really high and kicking out my feet like I was walking in flippers. Hmm. And, and I knew I shouldn't be walking that way, but I could not stop myself from doing it. It was just happening. And having worked at the hospital with patients that had had mini strokes and TIAs, I recognized that I was probably having a neurological event. But like I said, I was home alone and I didn't want to drive myself to the hospital to get checked out if I was um, really experiencing that. So anyway, I made it back to the shower and I showered. And as I showered, I started feeling better. And I started wondering if maybe I had just imagined that was happening and that it really, that really nothing had taken place. And so when I got out of the shower, I laid down and thought, I'm going to take a little nap and see if anything happens later. So anyway, I took a nap. When I woke up, I was fine. This was on a Saturday and my husband had our second son in Colorado at a gymnastics competition. That's why I was home alone. And um, anyway, so I had called my husband who was in Colorado and told him what had happened. And I said, I'm feeling fine now. So I'm gonna just wait and see if anything else further happens. If anything else happens, I'm gonna go to the hospital. So anyway, he was coming home the next day, so I wasn't too concerned. But anyway, no further events happened. And then he came home the following day and I was fine all the next day. And then the following day on Monday, I got up at my usual time, five o'clock in the morning and met my neighbor to go for a little run. Not really, we weren't really runners. We were light joggers, but we did our usual early morning light jog. And then I went to work. And as I was at work, every time I was, I would change direction when I was walking. If I was walking and had to turn to the right or to the left, I would start vomiting. And mm -hmm. so I knew something was wrong. So I went to Instacare as soon as I got finished with work and met with the doctor and he ran some simple tests and told me I was fine. I said to, I told him, I said, I, um, 
am pretty sure I experienced a neurological event on Saturday and I told them about my strange walking in flippers. And I just said, I would like you to order a scan because I feel like there's something going on. So he did, he ordered a CT scan for a couple days later. So I went in and had the scan. And as soon as it was over, the tech said to me, are you able to stay here for a minute? The doctor wants to talk to you before you leave. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. And um, anyway, the doctor came in and he says, "Um, something has appeared on your scan that we're worried about, but we want to have a better image of it. So are you able to go over to the ER and have an MRI? They're, They're waiting for you. I said, yes, I can do that. So I went over to the to the ER and had the MRI done. Or after I finished the MRI, my husband was in the waiting room and I went out to him and I said, I am just exhausted. I'm going to go lay down in the car. And I said, will you come and get me when the doctor's ready to talk? He said, yes. And as I started walking out of the doors of the ER, I collapsed. So two nurses came and picked me up and threw me in a wheelchair, took me in and put me in a bed in the ER. A little while later, the doctor came in and said, I'm Dr. Fox. I'm a neurosurgeon here at the hospital. I said, yes, I know who you are. He says, I've come to discuss the results of your MRI. I said, well, if you're coming to discuss the results with me, then they're not good. And he said, no, they are not good. And he said, actually, we can't even understand how you're functioning. He said, you should be having seizures and not being able to function at all. Anyway, he pulled up my scan and I had a tumor in my brain and it was the size of an adult male fist. Wow. It was in my right frontal lobe and extending down into my temporal lobe of my brain. So he said, we are going to admit you into the ICU right now. He says, we've got to get the swelling out of your brain so that you can stay functional. So he says, we're going to admit you into the ICU immediately and get you on some steroids to get the swelling down. And he says, and then we're going to talk about surgical options. So that day I was admitted into ICU where I stayed for a week and a half. Anyway, he had come in and just said, we want to do some further testing, get some better images and learn a little bit more about this tumor in your brain. So over the next week and a half, they were doing all kinds of scans and having me drink, um, you know, different things to get better pictures, better images. And anyway, then they had planned to do surgery to remove the tumor at the end of the following week. But then halfway through that week, he came into my room to visit me and he just said, "Um, we've gotten some more information about this tumor. He said, on a scale of one to a hundred in difficulty of doing the surgery, he says, you're sitting at about a 99. And he says, I'm not comfortable doing this surgery and I won't do it. So my husband and I just kind of looked at each other. My husband said, well, if this was your wife laying in this bed, what would you do? And he said, I would get her to Houston to MD Anderson Cancer Center and have Dr. Rao do the surgery. And he says, I've been, he said, he trained me in neurosurgery. And he says, he said that, um, 
he had been in communication with him and that there was a two month waiting period to get in to have the surgery at MD Anderson. And he said, and you don't have two months to wait. So he says, Dr. Rao is pleading your case in Houston to see if he can get you in for surgery. So then um, a, just a couple days, we started praying that that would happen, that I would be able to get admitted there. And a couple days later, um, he came back and said that Dr. Rao had been able to get me in and that I was scheduled for an appointment the following Tuesday to meet with him and discuss my possibilities. So it was a miracle in and of itself, right? Getting Yes, it was. Oh yeah. Because like I said, I wasn't supposed to be able to get in for two months and the fact that they were able to get me in within a week. So I stayed here in St. George until they felt I was stable enough to fly to Houston. And then I met with Dr. Rao and we went over all the surgery. And so one of the main complications was that the tumor I had was really aggressive and it had grown its own network of blood vessels to feed itself and supply itself. And um, those, that network of blood vessels were really risky. And that was what put my surgery at such a high risk. And so, but in Houston, they had better technology at the time and um, a good genomics um, thing where they could be testing the, the tumor actually during sur surgery to get more information about it. So anyway, I went in and had the surgery and um, it ended up being an eight hour surgery. And Dr. Rao was able to remove 98% of that huge tumor. All was well. And then I went out, came out of surgery and was admitted into a room, made it through the night, find no problems. Next day, met with Dr. Rao, and he started informing us of the tumor, and it was cancerous. From all the initial testing that they had done, it appeared that it was a glioblastoma tumor, um, very aggressive. I was most likely going to be needing cancer treatment following my return to St. George. Anyway, he asked us not to research glioblastoma. He said, because you will read information and he says, and it is always being updated. They are always finding new treatments. And he said, I don't want you to get discouraged because you will get discouraged if you read about it. So he said, promise me, you won't read about this until we've begun treatment. So I, we promised and we didn't. Good for you. <laughs> but following the doctor's orders on that. <laughs> yeah. But my mom was there and she said, well, with a glioblastoma tumor, what are the survival rates? And he said, well, you're looking at about a 12 to 14 month period of life left. Hmm. And I was like, I have three children at home. What in the world am I going to do? And so anyway, that night, my husband, he's so wonderful. And this is one of the things that confirmed that he was supposed to be with me through this thing. But that night, 
he came in and sat down next to my bed and he pulled out his Franklin planner and a blank sheet of paper. And he said, let's make a list of all the things we want to do in the next 10 years. <laughs> and um, just, we weren't going to give into the 12 to 14 months. So we made a list of places we wanted to travel and things we wanted to be able to do. And um, that was such a powerful moment for me to be, you know, looking past that and knowing that he had hope that we would make it through. And I love that act of faith. I mean, I think just for the fact that he would even consider doing that just demonstrates how much faith he had that you could get beyond that 12, 14 month mark. So yeah, the, yeah, that the faith that he exhibited in that moment is so inspiring. It almost makes me want to cry because I, I think for myself, if I had been given that diagnosis or my husband had been given that diagnosis, I would just be in pieces. I wouldn't be getting out my Franklin planner. Yeah. <laughs> and so what a guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was such a night. Like I just felt hope after that and really went to the Lord in prayer I just, after praying, I just felt a deep peace that our 10-year goals would, I'd be able to see many of them met. And um, I was grateful for that comfort I was given at that time. So anyway, that, the next morning, I woke up to the nurses trying to sit me up on the edge of the bed and I couldn't sit up. I kept falling over to the left and um, couldn't figure out why I couldn't sit up. And then they informed me that during the night I had had a stroke that left me completely paralyzed on my left side. So to add to the cancer diagnosis, I now was paralyzed and unable to use any part of the left side of my body my brain didn't even recognize that I had a left side of my body at that time. I was supposed to be able to go home pretty quick after surgery, but because of the stroke, I was now going to be admitted into the acute rehab program there in Houston, Texas. And fortunately I have family here in St. George that were helping with my children back here, helping take care of them and get them to where they needed to be. And let their lives kind of continue on as normal, even though mom and dad were stuck in Houston. So anyway, my acute rehab, I was, had to do three hours of therapy each day, um, speech therapy, physical therapy, and occupational therapy. And um, it was exhausting. And, but I pushed through and finally got to the point they had set some goals for me. So one of the goals was I had to be able to sit up in a chair unassisted for eight hours. And then I had to be able to walk the floor of the hospital using a hemi walker, which is like a three-legged cane, um, unassisted, only using that. And um, that was so that they would feel confident that I could get on a plane and be able to sit up unassisted on a plane for my flight back to Las Vegas and then sit in a car from the drive to Vegas back to St. George. And so I worked hard to meet those goals. 
and then was finally able to return home after being in Houston for 41 days away from my kids. The plan was because of the aggressiveness of the tumor was that I needed to start um, cancer treatment right away. So they wanted me as soon as I got back to then go up to Salt Lake to the Huntsman Center to start cancer treatment. And um, this was another tender mercy and miracle that um, Heavenly Father blessed me with was my mom was talking to a gentleman in her ward who is a radiation oncologist here in St. George. And so she had been telling him about, you know, my diagnosis and then was saying how, you know, she worried about me just being reunited with my kids and then having to leave to go up to Huntsman. And he says, well, why does she have to go up to Huntsman? He said, all the treatments they do up there, we are able to do down here in St. George. And he said, I will take her on as a patient and she'll be able to stay here in St. George with her family. And, um, that's awesome. So anyway, so he then got in contact with my doctors and the doctors that they had been communicating with at Huntsman Center. And together, they all put together a treatment plan for me that I could do here in St. George. I was able to come home and be home with my family and be surrounded by all my family while I went through those treatments. And I felt like that was such a miracle as well. So after you and your husband had sat down to make that list of things you wanted yes. to do over the next decade, you shared with me that you kind of bargained with the Lord a little bit <laughs> about, <did. laughs> about a timeline that you, you hope to remain on earth. Would you, would you share that with us? Yes. I'm a little embarrassed by it now. <laughs> Why? It's at amazing. The time, it was, I was desperate. <laughs> I prayed to the Lord and just said, I have two boys that will make fine missionaries. And if you will allow me to live long enough, I will make sure that they serve missions and that they will be good servants in thy work. So if you'll allow me to live long enough, I will do my part to see that they are prepared and good servants. And um, at the time, our oldest son was a junior in high school. We were able to get him graduated. And then he submitted his mission papers after graduation and was called to serve in Lima, Peru. Then while he was still out, our second son received his mission call. And um, he was going to serve in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And on the day that we took him to the airport to put him on the plane to go to Argentina, I started being angry at myself that I didn't offer to send my daughter as well, because she's <laughs> um, three years younger than Grant. And that would have given me another three to four years. And, but anyway, but both of my boys were able to serve missions and um, I was able to be a part of that experience. And they both served faithfully and honorable missions. And I was grateful for that. Mm. So I think that's so cool. I don't think you should be embarrassed by that. In fact, the faith to ask for the miracle is inspiring. Your story 
almost has a, a Hannah-esque feel to me, you know, the, the story of Hannah and Samuel. And for those listening, you know, Hannah was barren and she told the Lord in her anguish that if he would grant her a son, she would give that son back to the Lord all of his days, which she did. In our last general conference, uh, President Nelson, he said, through your faith, Jesus Christ will increase your ability to move the mountains in your life. And he went on to say, moving your mountains may require a miracle. And he invited us to learn about miracles, which I thought was so cool. Uh, He's promised us that some of God's greatest work has yet to be done. His greatest miracles are yet to come in these last days. And I think that includes not just, you know, the big mighty miracles that might happen on a church-wide level, but in the personal individual lives of faithful disciples of Jesus Christ, things will continue to get more difficult as we get closer to the Savior's coming. But I think the compensatory blessing for living in such a difficult time will be that we have access to great power. And again, I just, I love that you had the faith to look beyond the diagnosis the time frame that the doctors were giving you, you and your husband, and ask for the miracle. What do you feel like gave you the maybe the gumption? <laughs> and again, the, the faith to ask the Lord for what you well, felt like you needed. My whole life, I've really made a point to live the word of wisdom, follow it as best I could. And um, growing up in California, that was sometimes difficult, but I did. I followed the word of wisdom and I really tried my best to take care of my body. And so then when a health ailment came, I felt very confident approaching the Lord and just saying, I've done my best to take care of this body that thou has blessed me with. And I need Hmm. thy help now to get through this. And, but I felt like I had, you know, really made the effort to do my part in keeping my health strong. And that gave me confidence to ask the Lord. I Mm. think that if I had been abusing my body and not following, you know, his counsel on how to take care of it, that I maybe would have had some reservations about asking for a miracle in that regard. I don't know. Hmm. I think that that brings up a great point, Corey, that when we are obedient to God's laws, it, it, it increases our confidence to approach him in faith and to ask him for the things that we feel like we need. Now, obviously God has his will and his timetable, but um, just as I was saying before with president Nelson, he said that it's, it's through our faith that we can draw on that power on God's power and, and faith is increased through our obedience to God's laws. And so I think that's a great example that when we are obedient, we can approach the Lord confidently with the things that we need, yeah. but always remembering that thy will be done. <laughs> um, yes. But I do think sometimes that we, we shortchange ourselves and it's not to say that if the miracle doesn't happen in the way that we ask that, that we don't have the faith, However, I believe that the Lord 
desires to bless us in mighty ways. And yes, your, your experience is a testament to how our faith can play into the outcomes of our lives. So I love that. I think that's incredible. Obviously, I talk to people on this podcast who've been through a number of hard things. I would say the, the common denominator for all of these individuals is they have chosen not to push God away, but to make him a part of their story through these hard things. But many of us want to blame God and push him aside when life gets hard. But again, you did just the opposite. So how do you feel like your willingness to hold on to faith has blessed you during this uncertain and difficult period of your life? Because it, it goes on. I mean, you, you still recognize that your life is going to be shortened by all that's transpired in the last decade. For me, when I am living faithful and letting God be a part of my life, I have peace. And I've been able to recognize, you know, his hand in so many things. If I stop at the end of the day and just take time to look back on the day and look for God's hand in my life, I can always find numerous examples of that he's just been right there by my side. And I feel strengthened by that and been able to find the joy in the hard things. And I've learned so much during these last six years. I recognize now that I really needed to be humbled. And this was a great lesson in humility for me and, um, and learning to trust the Lord. So as far as the cancer part, I'm pretty much over that. My oncologist just says I am a, his miracle mama. I have not had any reoccurrence of the cancer. So my struggle now is recovering from the paralysis. So for 22 months after coming home, I was in a wheelchair. Couldn't get up by myself. I had to have assistance going to the bathroom and doing everything. Couldn't get dressed, couldn't shower myself. But like I said, for 22 months, I was wheelchair bound. And then through continuous physical therapy and occupational therapy, I'm now able to pretty much do everything for myself. And so my recovery now is trying to regain function on my, on the left side of my body. And so I um, do therapy each week. Then I do home, home therapy as well. Fortunately, I've been able to see quite a bit of gain. They say after stroke recovery, your most, most of your um, gains happen within the eight, first eight to 10 months after having a stroke. Well, during those eight to 10 months um, following my stroke, I was doing radiation and chemotherapy. And so mm -hmm. that prohibited me from getting a lot of gains back. And so some of my doctors were pretty, um, you know, pessimistic about me regaining a lot of function because of the cancer treatments. But I've been able to regain quite a bit and, but I'll be honest that that's been harder than the cancer treatments. So, yeah. Well, because it's so long-term, right? Yeah. I've always just, you know, been able to just overcome things and 
the fact that this is just something I can't just work to overcome, you know, I have to wait, be patient and wait for God's time because he's the only one that's going to grant my function. It's not what I'm doing to return the function. It's what he allows to come back. And so Hmm. I think that's been a hard thing is, you know, trying to align my will with God's will and trust in his timing. And so your prognosis right now, are the doctors saying, because you, you had mentioned you, you should have asked for more time. Yeah. What is the prognosis at this point? They're not saying, cause I'm kind of a unique case because with glioblastoma, we have now read extensively about it. And most patients that are diagnosed with glioblastoma, only um, 2% of those patients live beyond five years. And wow. I'm at six right now. So I don't think they really know what to expect from me. Well, and obviously it hasn't just been you and your husband that have been impacted by all of this, but your children as well. I'm curious because I know that we talked about this, this bargaining you did with the Lord that you would prepare two strong missionaries, which you have done and, and they served faithfully. How has this experience changed your family as a whole? You know, it's been hard for them, but at the same time, they've learned so much from it as well because they've gone through the um, struggles as well. They've been such a motivation for me and we've been able to, you know, grow in ways together that maybe we wouldn't have. And um, we all just feel really, really blessed by the experience because of the things we've learned and the miracles we've seen. I think all of our testimonies and faith have been strengthened through this. And I'm grateful for their um, resilience and willingness to help and step up and take on more responsibilities as I was not able to. And so one thing, just, this is just kind of silly, but when I was wheelchair bound and not able to do anything for myself, one of the things that was so hard for me was at night after dinner, all my family would get together and do the dishes. And I was stuck in my wheelchair in the front room and not able to be in there with them doing the dishes. Some people would think that was a blessing, but that was so hard for me not to be able to be in there with them. And now I'm just so appreciative that I can do dishes and be with them in those just kind of silly things that, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't realize you take for granted until you don't have them or you're not able to do them. And some of the things that's been hard for them is just that I've changed because with a brain injury, I'm easily distracted now and kind of have a loss of attention span. And um, I'm a little more blunt. (laughs) My family teases me. They say when they took the tumor out, they also removed that filter from your brain that tells you what's appropriate to talk about and what's inappropriate. And so I kind of have a tendency to tell all the family secrets now. And, <laughs> and if I'm feeling something, boy, they know it. There's no like beating around the bush 
and trying to soften the blow, it just comes out exactly how I feel. And that's been hard for them Mm -hmm. to kind of just deal with, you know, my different personality now. And, um, but they're understanding and very forgiving. And I'm grateful for that. Well, I love that as an entire family, you have all chosen to see the miracles and the tender mercies, because even, even with your prolonged life, I can see some choosing to see only struggle that if this was really the miracle that we wanted, then mom would have been a hundred percent back to normal. I mean, it, it's been a, a real struggle. As you described, you, your function has been very limited and yeah. you've had to work very hard for what function and ability you do have. And so the fact that they have chosen to see the miracle in spite of the challenges that have come through all of this, it says a lot about their faith in Christ as well. Yeah. I love that. At any point in our lives, we have a choice to make. We can choose to see the miracle or not. We can choose to see the beauty in the pain or not and learn from the pain or not and and become bitter, not better, right? Right. So what a great example that the whole Hyde family has chosen to, to rely upon the Lord. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I've really been inspired that we can do hard things as we trust in the Lord. Yes. But before I let you off the hook (laughs) and we finish this episode, (laughs) uh, why are you still rowing and choosing faith in Jesus Christ and his church? because he's real and I can't do this without him. I wouldn't have been able to do this without my savior and um, knowing that he's there gives me the faith and hope I need to carry on. And I really do recognize blessings and miracles every day. And I know that if I didn't exercise that faith, that I wouldn't have the joy I have now. I'm always trying to look forward. And so our next big event, my oldest son just got engaged. And so we're now planning a wedding and I'm looking forward to being a part of that. And I know that heavenly father will bless me if I continue to be faithful and that I'll be able to be a part of my children's lives for longer. And I know that God loves me and that he really does want what's best for me. And that a lot of times people will ask me, do you think you chose to have this trial in life? And I have thought a lot about that. And I think if I specifically chose this trial, I was a pompous spirit. (laughs) And I said, I say, well, I hope that I just said, you know, give me whatever trial I need that will bring me back home. You know, when my time on earth is finished and I hope that would have been my response and this trial is refining me and the ways I need to be refined and learn the lessons I need to learn to be able to return to the presence of my heavenly father and Jesus Christ. Well, thank you so much, Corey. Yeah. Such a beautiful testimony and God bless you on your way as you continue to, to move forward with faith.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. If you would like a little daily motivation to keep rowing, you can find me on Instagram at churchofjesuschrist underscore sr underscore podcast and on Facebook at churchofjesuschristsrpodcast. Also, if you've been enjoying this podcast, if you would go to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, that would help us spread the word about still rowing. Thanks again for listening.